Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Basketball Podcast here on the Basketball Podcast Network. It's Jeremy Brenner here, and today you heard yesterday about the Lakers side of the Chris Paul trade and the veto that came about. But now we're going to talk about maybe some better news on the Chris Paul trade front. The people that benefited the most from this uh, trade veto, the Los Angeles Clippers. And I know no one that knows their Clippers basketball better than my guest today. Mr. Robert Flom, uh, he is a writer and contributor over at 213hoops.com. Rob, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, how are you doing today? Oh, thanks for having me, Jeremy, and I'm doing well. You know, it's a Sunday. It's a long weekend. I, you know, I, I got some sleep last night, so I'm doing great. How are you doing? Hey, sleep is always a good thing, especially yeah. in this day and age. Yeah, it's but, a it's a rarity for me, but, you know, I'll take it when I can get it. Yeah, you know, I was, I've been, like, kind of living with my my friends so i've been kind of like on the couch but i ended up flying back home to my parents for a few weeks so i'm in like a bed and like comfortable bed at that and <laughs> you know my parents are cooking for me so you know when you get to your 20s kids and uh you go back home it don't take that for granted but um it's good to good to be here and always good to talk basketball um but yeah, so this trade, uh, we talked about how wild it was about, mm-hmm. you know, trades, especially in now with, you know, the James Harden trade happening last week. So trades are kind of a big part of the NBA. And, you know, when I think of a trade, though, this is one of the big ones I think about, especially when I look at this current era of of the NBA that I guess is still somewhat, I guess, the postmodern NBA era, if mm-hmm. you will. So This is also the trade that, you know, Chris Paul says, put the Clippers on the map. So as we know from our last episode, Chris Paul was going to the Lakers. Like he was, you know, same old, same old Lakers get the bacon. Clippers are left with, you know, the scrap heap, but not anymore. The Clippers have put themselves on the map. So Rob, you're a longtime Clippers fan. Never had anything to do with those, that other team in Los Angeles. So I want you to take me back to your your life where you were when you found out chris paul was coming to the clippers well i was in high school early in high school um what was that uh 2011 junior year junior year yeah junior year i was in my junior year of high school um probably sitting on my couch at my parents house or my desk or you know whatever doing homework um and you know the news came in and it was it was pretty surreal you know chris paul uh, you know, had had kind of an injury plagued season. You know, he he'd had that injury to his knee um, the year before. He'd been not quite to level he had been in, in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, where he was. You know, he should have won MVP in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. He was one, maybe the best player in the NBA, um, but it still looked great against the the Lakers in the playoff series in two thousand eleven with like a not very good Pel- um, Pelicans. That back then they were the Hornets. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was crazy. You know, it's Chris Paul. He's, you know, an NBA legend already. He was only, you know, six, seven years into his NBA career. Um, but the fact that the Clippers were getting a, a guy who was already, you know, a lock for the Hall of Fame uh, to put alongside Blake Griffin, um, who was, you know, had just had an incredible rookie season. It was it was amazing. I mean, even at the time, you know, even before hindsight, it really seemed like a, a landscape shifting moment, both in the NBA, but especially for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Blake Griffin. So obviously he missed out on his rookie on his rookie year and yeah. then played played in 2010 and had 
you know, some pretty strong moments. How much do you think the emergence of Blake Griffin to happen so quickly uh, contributed to Chris Paul's interest in playing for the Clippers? I mean, that has to be a big part of it, right? I mean, the Clippers were L.A. Chris Paul wanted to go to a big market. Uh, We all know he's maybe been even more than LeBron, I'd say, maybe like the NBA like advertisement and spokesperson guy over the past decade. Like Mm -hmm. he took advantage of the L.A. scene and L.A. marketing, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, everybody knows who Chris Paul is from the State Farm commercials and other commercials. He wanted L.A. Um, for that reason, and also just to live in L.A. You know, I'm I'm from L.A. I love L.A. I, I understand why especially famous people want to go to L.A. Um, and that was part of it. But, you know, I don't think he would have gone there if they were a really bad team, as they have been for almost their entire franchise history at that point. So having a guy like Blake Griffin, who was, you know, a just an incredible talent, um, you know, his rookie season, 22 and a half points, 12 rebounds, almost four assists a game. Some of just the most insane dunks in NBA history, in-game dunks in NBA history, Chris Paul being able to play alongside that guy as well as DeAndre Jordan, who has also, you know, showed some promise. Um, it just seemed like a great combination, like a point guard, two rolling big men with a lot of athleticism, and, you know, the size scheme like the limit. They were all young at that point. Chris Paul was just entering his prime. Blake and DJ seemed to have, you know, tons of room to grow. And, you know, that was, it was a huge part of it. I mean, I don't think he goes there otherwise. Yeah, so you're looking at a team, the Clippers, one playoff appearance in in what like 15 years. Yeah. And now you get Chris Paul. So when you get Chris Paul, Rob, what is your expectation? Is this is do you think oh, we're going to playoff basketball now for the Clippers and and it's turned into um it's turned into one of the most successful uh runs currently in the NBA. So what did you expect when when Chris Paul comes and says, I'm playing for the Clippers, I'm signed long term? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's hindsight now that like the Lob City ended up being so successful in terms of win loss and in terms of just how good those teams were really. At the time, I don't know if people were really talking like, oh, we're going to win a championship. But I think definitely, you know, we're going to make the playoffs. Every year, probably, that was the expectation. Perennial playoff team, tons of fun basketball, and then really just see how things would go depending on how the supporting cast developed and and who they were able to get in and and how Blake and DJ and the other young guys um, got better. You know, they also had Eric Bledsoe. They were able to keep him, and he was a guy who they thought was really, really promising at a good rookie Mm -hmm. season. Um, But that that feels like that's such a long time ago now. Um, And yeah, like, you know, I I don't think championships were the expectation at that point, but it was certainly, you know, we're going to be playoffs. We're going to be, you know, a 50 win team every season. Do you think that the Clippers gave up a lot for him? Like, I know that. So let me look at the compensation uh, that that Chris Paul was traded for. So it was Eric Gordon. Mm -hmm. Who I've come to know very well. as (laughs) Uh, Chris Kamen. Alfaruk Aminu and uh, unprotected pick from the Wolves in 2012. And then I believe a f- two second round, two second round picks came back to the Clippers. So, I mean, if you look at that, especially given what the Lakers had to give up for Chris Paul, to me, this package seems like 70 cents to the dollar, given what the Lakers were giving up for him. So it, it's interesting. It depends how you view it, right? You know, the Pelicans, the the, Pelicans, the the Hornets-Lakers trade had a lot more established players going to the Lakers, right? right. Uh, to the Hornets, right? Like, I can't remember. It was like Kevin Martin and Lamar. Yeah, Kevin o- Martin, Luis Scola, Goran Dragic, and yeah. Lamar Odom. 
Yeah, I mean, and you think about it, like, at the time, it's like, wow, that's a lot of good players. And then you look in hindsight, like, the only guy who stuck around for more than a couple years after that in any major way is Goran Dragic. I mean, that would have been a really nice asset to mm -hmm. have. Um, when you look at the Clippers package, it actually, I think at the time, it was viewed much better. Um, in hindsight, it was not a great return. But when you look at it at the time, you know, Eric Gordon has had, you know, a very disappointing career a lot of that is not his fault he's had a lot of injuries in that 2011 season he averaged 22 points a game three rebounds four and a half assists on 45 36 83 splits you know he was a guy who was kind of ahead of his time a guy who took a fair amount of threes also got to the free throw line kind of a mori ball rocket type of guy almost yeah. mm -hmm. um and he was only 22 years old he seemed like a guy who would be a perennial all-star at at the time was considered the weakest position in the entire league, shooting guard. It was like Kobe, Dwayne Wade, Brandon Roy at the time, and it, that was it. Right. And so Eric Gordon at the time was like a blue chip player, and we all know how his career has turned out. He's had a nice NBA career, but I don't. He's never made an all-star game. Mm -hmm. Um, he's never really even been that close. And you know, at the, everybody else looked better at the time too. I mean, Chris came and we can laugh now. At the time, he was only two or three seasons removed from, from being an all-star yeah. um, and was a starting-level center or considered that way. And Al Farouk Aminu was, you know, a lottery rookie who'd had, you know, not a great rookie season, but had showed some promise as, as being like a big 3-and-D wing. And then a Timberwolves first-round draft pick, the Timberwolves had been miserable. Everybody thought that was going to be a lock to be a top five in a stacked 2012 NBA draft. And instead, it turned out to be the 10th pick and Austin Rivers. Um, yeah. <laughs> who has also had a nice NBA career, but was mm -hmm. awful for the Hornets. So, um, I mean, I think at the time, people liked, I think people thought the Clippers package was better for a team that was going to be rebuilding. If the Hornets had wanted to try to win, obviously the Lakers package was better. Um, but I mean, it, it's just, it's aged horribly. The Clipper, At the time, mm -hmm. the Clippers package looked great. And now it's, you know, not. Yeah, not. <laughs> not. <laughs> but... Yeah, I guess when you when you phrase it like that and when you put it like that, yeah, that's that's kind of what you get. The Hornets needed a rebuild and it turned out that that team ended up playing horribly and it landed them Anthony Davis and now Anthony Davis has turned them into who they are today. So, yeah. it's funny how this trade has really set the tone and you're still feeling the effects 10, 11 years after the trade. And I think that's when you can really call a trade a blockbuster trade because yeah. you, you still feel the effects of the trade eight, nine, ten years down the line. And I think for the Clippers, too, it's the same because you look at the Lob City era and what it was for the Clippers. It put them on the map, just mm -hmm. as Paul said. And do you – as, as a Clippers person, you're, you're the Clippers expert here. So do you think that Kawhi and Paul George come to the Clippers without – the Lob City era? That seems impossible, right? I mean, yeah. you, you have to go like a chain event. Does Steve Ballmer buy the team if Chris Paul is not a Clipper? Right. Probably not. Um, does Doc Rivers go to the Clippers, and which also helped them get Steve Ballmer if, if Chris Paul is not a Clipper? Probably mm -hmm. not. Um, you know, do they make six straight playoff runs, which helps cement a, a culture of maybe that hasn't always been perfect, but at least one that is, you know, eons beyond the, you know, the super sad sack Donald Sterling at era Clippers, none of that happens without Chris Paul. Mm -hmm. um, so no, I mean, I think they do not get Kawhi and Paul George. They, none of this stuff happened. I mean, who knows? I mean, the thing is, it's, it's fascinating to look at the other way too, because I think in a lot of ways you could say Blake Griffin's career might 
you know, the trajectory was altered by Chris Paul, maybe negatively. Um, you know, Blake Griffin was very good in his prime, right? Made all-star teams, made a couple all-NBA teams. But considering his rookie season, I'd say he's had a disappointing career. And maybe some of that had to do with pairing him with Chris Paul. So you never know. Maybe Blake Griffin yeah. becomes an, an MVP type player. I, I probably not, but um, maybe. Um, and I think it's interesting to look at it from the Pelicans too, because even though they landed Anthony Davis with that draft, kind of the shoddy return they received is part of why they were never, never able to build a team around Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. And that led to him leaving. I mean, this trade could be, you know, 20 years down the line if Anthony Davis stays with the Lakers forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, the Clippers definitely do not get Kawhi and Paul George. They might still be owned by Donald Sterling. They might be owned by some other owner who's not as good as Steve Ballmer. Um, it's just a completely different franchise and completely different NBA. Yeah. So let's talk Lob City. <laughs> and, and specifically the name. Because it's a great name. It's a great name. Oh, yeah. And it gave the Clippers an identity. And I think that's the real thing. Because I feel like the Clippers throughout, you know, their first part of existence, we'll call it. They were seen <laughs> as, I don't, I'm not trying to sound rude here, but they were like the White Sox. Yeah. That's a good, it's a good comparison. Because the White Sox, they're in Chicago, but the Cubs are in Chicago. And, and when you think of Chicago baseball, you think the Cubs. And when you think of Los Angeles basketball... You think of the Lakers and mm -hmm. the the Clippers were at, up to this point in history an afterthought and Lob City really gave them, you know, took away that afterthought title and it gave them a legit title. So where were you when you first heard of the Lob City coin or were you the one who coined Lob City? Is that who is that who is the, you know, mother of the name or the father? of? No, the name? no, no, no. I was... I was posting at Clips Nation at the time, mm -hmm. but I was not a writer or covering the team or anything. I I don't I didn't have a Twitter. I was the name was actually coined by this infamous video of Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan when they heard about the trade at a, a playground. They were shooting around mm -hmm. and they got a phone call, and I can't remember who. I think it was Blake Griffin was like, "It's gonna be Lob City, baby," and that's how the name was coined. It was uh, it was before they'd ever stepped on the court together um certainly not me and it was a great nickname and we saw a lot of great lobs interestingly most of the best lobs of the lob city era were not chris paul to blake griffin there were a lot of good chris paul to deandre jordan right. and there were lots of great jamal crawford to blake griffin yeah. um as well as like randy foy had some great lobs and like <laughs> and like mo williams and like everybody but chris paul had great lobs to blake griffin um but it, it was an identity right and Especially their first few years, I think they were uh, one of the most fun teams to watch in the NBA, right? Like, they're a team I was that very I excited watching Randy Foy every night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, who, <laughs> who who didn't love watching Randy Foy? Great guy, by the way. Um, great yeah. guy, Randy Foy. Um, you know, I think their, their legacy is tarnished somewhat by the fact that they flopped in the playoffs so consistently. Mm -hmm. And the fact that everybody grew to hate them due to the whining and the, you know, just nobody liked them by the end. Even most Clippers fans didn't really like the team the last year or two. Um, but their first few years, I mean, they were electric to watch. They were so much fun. They had like this great mix of veterans and young guys. And yeah, I mean, I, it was also perfectly coincided with the Lakers downturn in fortunes, right? Where Kobe was aging, their championship teams were falling apart. And all of a sudden, I mean, the Clippers were certainly not taking over LA, but it was like a legitimate shift in power that would not have happened if the Lakers were still really good. Um, and it, it really helped boosted the Clippers profile, both in the NBA and just in Los Angeles. How much of getting 
not just getting Chris Paul to the Clippers, but taking him away from the Lakers. <laughs> How much does that contribute to all of this too? Because the Lakers could have easily, you know, refocus that deal and they could have, you know, put in another player or something like that. And they could have found a way to get that trade to work because they clearly weren't too far off if they accepted a deal. But how much of, you know, not just adding, but subtracting from the Lakers, how much does that add to like the glory of it all in this, in this this acquisition? It's interesting you say that because to be honest, I always, I wouldn't say I forget about the veto trade, but it's not something I really think about or it's not right. something I think many Clippers fans think about too much. Um, I'm, I'm sure at the time it was different and there was lots of trash talking and gloating and stuff. Um, but I mean, I don't think it's really something that stuck around too much from the Clippers perspective. Now, Lakers, on the other hand, still bring it up to this day. Uh, <laughs> they will still talk about, oh, we could have had Chris Paul and this and that and the other thing. Um, I don't think it really stuck around too much for Clippers fans. It was... Um, you know, it was something, at least not for me, it was just like, everybody was so happy to have Chris Paul and have a great team that it it was kind of forgotten that they, they kind of took him from the Lakers. It is interesting that it also kind of ruined the Lakers team, right? Because Lamar Odom spiraled out of control after that. He was, his feelings were hurt and he had been so good for them. And all of a sudden he was bad and they had to trade him to the Mavs and his career really tanked after that. Um, Mm -hmm. and it really signaled the, the, that breakup of that team, you know, happened in part because of the failed Chris Paul trade. So um, there were lots of aftershocks with the Lakers too, but it's not something I really think Clippers fans thought about too, too much at the time, though. I'm sure, again, the first couple years in particular, there's probably lots of trash talk. Yeah. So you look at, you look at the Clippers, right? And when you get Chris Paul, you think, okay, this is a playoff contender, Mm -hmm. but you're still in the West. There's still San Antonio. There's still uh, the Lakers that you got to get past. The Mavericks are still pretty good. So when does this team go from playoff contender to championship contender? I think it really comes with the arrival of Doc Rivers. I don't think anybody took them seriously their first two years with Vinny Del Negro, which is a little bit unfair. I mean, I, I won't exactly go to bat for Vinny. Um, but he wasn't a bad coach. He wasn't awful. Yeah, he wasn't awful. I mean, Doc Rivers is, is clearly better, um, even though a lot of Clippers fans have, of course, soured on him in recent years. But um, I don't think anybody took them that seriously. And part of the problem and the really fascinating thing about Lob City is just the pieces never aligned. Like, things could have been different. They did have some epic collapses, especially to the Rockets, as, as we all know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but when you look at the, their best supporting cast of the entire Lob City era was that first year when they had Vinny Del Negro, who was not a top-tier coach, and when Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan were still young and not in peak forms. But that year, I mean, they had Chauncey Billups, they had Karan Butler, they had Mo Williams, um, they had a bunch, Randy Foy, who was actually decent that year. You know, the, the 2012 team was probably the deepest team that they had, but their stars just weren't ready yet. And then when you move it a few years later, when all of a sudden Blake Griffin is an all-NBA guy and DeAndre Jordan's an all-star level player, then all of a sudden you run like a six-deep team and Jamal Crawford is is your six-man and he's not even that good anymore. And the rest of the bench is just awful. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, and that really played out in that Rocket series where they were just exhausted. All their key guys were playing like 40 minutes a game. Um, they had no bench and and especially the last two years, they just had nothing around those key guys. And it, it just never really overlapped. But I mean, yeah, the 2014-2015 seasons were, were the peak because it was Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan were all in or kind of entering their primes. 
their supporting cast was not great, but it was just enough, especially in 2014. Um, yeah, it's, it's Doc Rivers, and I think it's also J.J. Redick, um, who really, his shooting helped turn the Clippers' offense from very good into, like, this kind of machine. They, they were one of the best offenses every single year as soon as they added J.J. Redick. Yeah, so 2013-2014, um, that was J.J.'s first year, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So that offense, um, offensive rating was 112.1. You're looking at number one in the league. Yep. And then 2014-2015, 112.4, also number one in the league. But, you know, and and I, I agree. J.J. Redick was a huge part of those teams and really gave you – he's a perfect complement to – Chris mm -hmm. Paul, I think, because Chris Paul is more about setting guys up. And Chris Paul, in order to succeed, he needs uh, shooters around him, yeah. which is why I think in Phoenix now, having a guy like Devin Booker there is a great – The I feel like that partnership could be, you know, sky's the limit because Devin Booker, as we know, is a very solid shooter and, um, you know, he's working into his own. And I think that, you know, that can – you can see shades of what Chris Paul had in with the Clippers and in some case, the Rockets too, where he's working towards, you know, approaching this Zenith of an offense, but you know what? Okay. But obviously with the Clippers, something was missing. Yep. So what do you think was missing from these two teams? Cause obviously the offense was there. The defense also was very impressive in 2014. You're looking at, uh, the ninth best defense, and yep. in 2015, it's um, it's uh, the okay. In 2015, it dropped to 15, but yeah, you know, you're in the better half of the NBA. Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple things. One, as I mentioned, is depth, right? I think 2014, their depth was okay. Um, that was the year they had Darren Collison, um, who was who was very good for them. Um, but I mean, you look at the, a lot of the names on this list here. I mean, they had Danny Granger, they had Steven Jackson, they had Anton Jameson, they had Hito Turkulu, all these guys at their end of their careers. Um, and a lot of it was because of the young guys they brought in, like Byron Mullins was a guy who was supposed to be a stretch forward for the, you know, stretch center for them. Um, Spencer Hall's the next year, same exact thing. Both of them did not pan out. Jared Dudley was not good for them. Uh, he was playing injured. He hates the Clippers because of it. Um, and that's it. And then it's it's the depth and it's the starting small forward. Um, you know, when you look at the Clippers starting small forwards of the Lob City era, it was a washed up Karan Butler, who's still fine, but mm -hmm. clearly well past his prime. Matt Barnes, again, a fine rotation player, but not a guy you want starting on a championship caliber team. And then like Luke Mbamute, who very good defensively, not much offensively. Mm -hmm. Um and wow, I mean, they're probably even people I'm forgetting. Those are like their three best small forwards of that era. You know, they brought in Wes Johnson, who played huge minutes for them. Um, you know, guys like Ryan Gomes were, you know, small forward rotation guys. They just never had like a really good starting level championship small forward. And it was that and it was their bench. Um, you know, the core four guys were good enough. And I think. You know, if every single thing had landed their way, I think they they could have won a title. I think in 2014 and 2015, they were probably at that level where they were good enough, but they were not good enough where they could overcome much adversity, right? Every single thing had to bounce their way, and it didn't. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the you know, the, the drafting was awful, too, at the time. Um, they drafted Reggie Bullock 
who has become a good NBA player, but did not was not good with the Clippers, yeah, and they traded him mm-hmm. for Austin Rivers. Um, CJ Wilcox, who barely played in the NBA. Bryce Johnson, who might have the lowest minutes played of any like domestic first-round draft pick in the last decade. I think he played 19 minutes in the NBA. Really? Um, yes. I really liked him coming out of North Carolina. I, I wish A lot of people got... did. Yeah. <laughs> he is playing, I believe, in like the Ukrainian second league right now. Wow, um, really? Yeah, it has not been a good professional career for Bryce Johnson. What a, what a um, drop off. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and the second round picks really no better. They never hit on any of their picks. And and as you know, again, from covering the Rockets and a team that consistently has had to trade away their picks to kind of get veterans, you can do that. But having those those picks is what enables you to have cheap, cost-controlled young talent that also, mm-hmm. also offers some upside. And the Clippers never hit on any of them. Like, none yeah. of those guys contributed at all. Really, the only young guy they developed was Austin Rivers, who they traded, you know, Reggie Bullock for. And he came in, he was still only like 22 or, or 23, and he became a good NBA player. But it was just a wasteland. Um, and, you know, the bad drafting was, was huge. So it's all that. It's bad drafting. Um, you know, the small forward spot depth and all those are, of course, tied together. If they drafted better, their bench is better. They might have even had a starting small forward. Um, you know, they cut Joe Ingles in training camp for Jared Cunningham um, infamously uh, and just little stuff on the margins like that. It, it really doomed those teams. Mm-hmm. Let's talk 2015. I I wanted to, I wanted to hear your reaction before, <laughs> before I, right after I said that sentence. But this is arguably the beginning of the end for the Clippers yes. uh, in the Lob City era because this is this is their best team. And that year in the West, the Warriors were on the rise and the Warriors are clearly the number one team in the West, but they hadn't won anything yet. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't theirs just yet. And after that, two through six that, that year were all within like a game or two of each other. And it was arguably the strongest Western Conference or strongest conference period that we've seen. Yep. You know, from one to eight or one to six. And the Clippers draw the Spurs in the first round, the defending champion Spurs. And people were looking at that matchup and they're like, oh, this is definitely going seven. And it did. It, it <laughs> went seven games. That was maybe one of the best playoff series in in like the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, the first round. First round, it might be the best series ever. I would um, say it is. Yeah. And I, I still remember that night really well because it was also uh, the game seven because that was the same night as the uh, Mayweather Pacquiao fight. Yep. Remember that, and that was like a huge thing. But everyone was like, oh, well, uh, one of the prelims is uh, Spurs Clippers game seven uh, staples. And I remember I still remember Chris Paul that night. And I'm sure you do. And you probably yep. tell the story a lot better than I do. So uh, I'll let you have it. I mean, it was, I mean, Chris Paul was playing banged up, right? He missed the first two games of the Rockets series because he was injured. Right. Um, he was kind of on one leg. He was gimpy. Um, and he hits just this impossible shot over Tim Duncan, um, who was amazing that entire series. Um, absolutely incredible. I mean, Tim Duncan, ridiculous NBA career. Um, and I, I don't know how that shot went in. I don't know how he got it off over Tim Duncan. Um, it was a really tough angle. It just... Everything about that shot is crazy. Um, You know, Chris Paul was great the entire series. Blake Griffin, um, probably the best, like, week or two-week stretch of his entire NBA career. Um, Just, like, a force of nature. I think, you know, in terms of when, when, 
you know, pundits were doing their, you know, playoff MVP rankings or whatever. He was like number one in terms of how good he was in that series. Um, but as always with the Clippers, you know, the injury came in, right? Chris Paul was injured. He was not 100% for the following series. And that, that's the biggest shot of his entire career. It's the biggest shot probably in, in Clippers history. Um, and, you know, it ultimately was it, it, that series is the high point of Lob City, really. Um, mm -hmm. And then immediately after came the low yeah. point of Lob City, um, which sums up the Lob City Clippers and, and really the Clippers in general, probably better than and then any other thing. It's just the the immediate high. And all of a sudden, people are like, wow, the Clippers just beat out the Spurs and, um, you know, this incredible Game 7 and Chris Paul with these heroics and Blake Griffin looks like maybe one of the best players in the NBA. And then, you know, comes the Rocket Series and it all it all comes crashing down. Yeah. So that Rocket Series, um, I, I remember that series really well. The Rockets were not favored in that series. No. They were. They had home court advantage, but... Like like we mentioned, that West was so stacked. I think like the difference between their records was maybe a game. Or yeah. Maybe they had the same record or something. But yeah, so the Rockets were the two seed and the Clippers were the three seed. And Clippers come out, they win game one and lose game two. But then they go back home and they obliterate the Rockets in both of those games at home. Mm -hmm. It's a 3-1 lead. Infamous last words, 3-1 lead. Um, in game five, you know, the Rockets are able to, you know, stay alive. Yeah. And then game six looks a lot like game three and game four, where the Clippers, they are in the lead. But then one of the most awkward yet, like, obviously, from my perspective, it was as a Rockets fan, it was riveting. And I still like when I'm having a bad day, I I turn on those highlights to make me feel better. Um it kind of hurts a little bit now because, you know, that was also one of their better chances. And, you know, that yep. era of Rockets basketball has moved on. But, yep. like, I, like, I've never really asked a Clippers fan about that game from their perspective. But here I am right now. I'm asking you about it. It's honestly, it's it's painful, but it's honestly so surreal, you know, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like a, a thing where the Clippers... I mean, they, they did blow it, of course, but it wasn't really anything like it was their fault. I mean, anytime you blow that big a lead in the playoffs, you're up in the second half, whatever it is, you know, there's some fault at play, but they were doing the right thing. They were leaving very bad three point shooters open and those bad three point shooters were making every single three point shot. They were Corey taking. Brewer and Josh. Josh yeah. Man. yeah. Like, um, and it was it was just unbelievable to watch it at the time. Um, Jones, like. It yeah, like it's just you couldn't. I mean, I I'm sure there has been some statistical analysis of how likely it is that would have happened given those three point shooters taking those three point shots, and it has to be you know one in maybe not a million, but very very low. Mm -hmm. Um, and just it was like legitimately unbelievable. Like it was one of those moments that you just as it was happening, you're like, this cannot be happening. Like, how is this happening? What is going on? And it ended. And it was just, it was it was stunning. Um, and I don't think I don't think the Clippers ever recovered from that game. Like you said, it was a turning point in Lob City, and that completely shook the entire franchise. It shook every player on the team. Um, you know, they'd done what they were supposed to do. They'd followed the game plan. They left Josh Smith and Corey Brewer to chuck threes, and they made the threes on them. Mm -hmm. And it it just deflated the entire team. Um, and of course, the Rockets win Game Seven, and it's and it's history. Um, but I mean, at the, it's 
like looking back, a lot of Clippers fans actually think the previous year against the Thunder is more painful for them because that was much more self-inflicted. Um, where Chris Paul had that those awful turnovers, um, and you know they completely blow a series. I I don't view it that way. I think the 2015 series is worse because the 2014 Thunder I think were probably the better team than the Clippers. And even if the Clippers had won that game and gone up three one, I, I I still don't know. That's more of a coin flip. I think the Clippers were better than that Rockets team. Um, they were. They were. As, yeah. as a Rockets fan, they were. Yeah, like they were the better team and they were up, you know, 3-1. They were up 3-2 with a big lead in the second half and just a, a ridiculous series of events happened. And I mean, I don't think the Clippers were going to beat the Warriors. Um, But again, you never know how if they beat the Rockets, even if they don't beat the Warriors, the entire course of the franchise might be changed because those guys don't have the entire win taken out of their sails. Um, you know, maybe the next year they're able to regroup a little bit better. Um, it's it's just crazy. It's I've never rewatched that series or that game or anything about it. I don't like it um, one bit. <laughs> but in that game, the Clippers led by 19 yep. with 14 to go. They were mm-hmm. up 13 going into the fourth quarter and proceeded to lose by 12. Oh, it was. It, yeah. I mean, the weird thing is like, it's it's just like, one of the most bizarre playoff games in NBA history. All of this with virtually the backups of the Rockets playing in an elimination game yep. with their backs against the law, nothing to lose. And they played like they had nothing to lose because in, in reality, they didn't, they were going home anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then, and then there you go. But you know, who knows? Cause honestly, I think something that that 2015 Warriors team benefited from that a lot of teams, you know, usually when you go through the playoffs, you have growing pains and not to say that the, the Warriors didn't have growing pains, but you know, the Clippers had more experience than that Warriors team. And that Warriors final that that Warriors finals run, the, the 2015 Warriors, they didn't really have to play too many teams that had a whole lot of experience together. They mm-hmm. played, you know, the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals, who was also making their first uh you know conference finals appearance as a team. And then the Cavs, who that was the first year where LeBron was back and played a very dilapidated Cavs team in that final. So Honestly, I like the Clippers' chances had they gotten past Houston in game six or even in game five. I, I would have given the Clippers a shot, maybe in you know a, a close series, but you know, also the Clippers had size, and that's one thing mm-hmm. that the Warriors lacked. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely not like it was the next year when the 2016 Warriors were just considered this undom, you know, this unbeatable force, you know, the, the 73 and 9 Warriors. The 2015 Warriors were not like that. I mean, they were extremely good. They were the best team clearly in the NBA, but as you said, they didn't have experience. You know, the tables had begun to turn, right? Because the previous year, um the Clippers had beaten the Warriors in the playoffs and you know, the Clippers had Chris Paul and Steph Curry had this rivalry going and, you know, the Clippers had kind of treated the Warriors as the little brother mm-hmm. um, before in the previous couple years as they started to get good. But the 2015 was a turning point. I think the Warriors went three and one in the regular season against the Clippers, all fairly close games. And after that, for the remainder of Lob City, I don't they never lost the Clippers again. Um, they just took a Draymond Green in particular would wake up every single Clippers game and just annihilate them. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, at the time it wasn't quite that lopsided. But again, I mean, just returning to the depth, I mean, Chris Paul was not 100%. The Clippers were absolutely running on fumes by the end of the Rocket series, which is part of why they collapsed. 
I, I just don't think they would have beaten the Warriors. But again, I mean, I, I think it would have been a close series. I think it probably goes, I think I probably would have picked Warriors in, in six or seven, maybe. Um, but again, who knows? I mean, you never know what's what happens in the playoffs, right? You just have to give yourself the best shot you can and and take advantage. So it's a turning point, in, you know, in NBA history, really, because who knows if Lob City stays together after that, if they keep the band back together for another few years. Um, it's just, it's impossible to say. Um, but, and, and who knows how the Rockets might have gone if they just lost to the Clippers. Uh, maybe yeah. that team never reaches the, the heights they had. They probably don't trade for Chris Paul. Exactly. Um, and it's a, it's a crazy, crazy series. And those are the kind of, tr- like, that's, I think, what's fascinating about trades, especially those blockbuster ones. And this Chris Paul trade had another, you know, had another layer to it with the whole veto and all things like that. Um, and you're still feeling the effects of it. Um, so I'll ask you this. So we talked a little bit about it on yesterday's episode, but I want to get your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. We obviously just saw James Harden get traded to the Nets. Yep. And I think that this – and, you know, when I was thinking about topics to discuss for the show this week, this is kind of the first thing that popped into mind because of, you know, just the relevancy of it with trades and such. And I think that this trade looks at, like, kind of the f- – it's really the first one, other than maybe Kevin Garnett to the Celtics – it's really the first time where you're looking at guys that are looking to get traded from small markets to yep. markets. And we've seen a pattern of that now with Chris Paul going to the, the Clippers and uh, Anthony Davis to the Lakers and, you know, James Harden now to the Nets. Do you think that's a good thing for the NBA or do you think it's not? Because I, I don't think there's really a wrong answer here. I I mean, I think it's very complicated. Um, mm-hmm. On one hand, like, I'm all for player empowerment, right? Like, I think players should be able to play where they want, um, you know, and ultimately, you know, I think that's that's kind of the heart of it. If they want to play somewhere, they should be able to play there. Yeah, I think it is thornier when you're under contract and you kind of force your way out. You know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like that a ton, um, especially when you do it in a super public manner and you kind of force it through really bad play you're not showing up or doing whatever um but in terms of just the small market element i mean i think you know i don't think it's a good thing and i mean i'm not sure what the answer is um because you know when you look at new orleans and you can say oh the the pelicans failed to build around anthony davis or whatever they had had a couple good teams um Mm -hmm. you know and you know, part of it is that they're hamstrung by being a small market team. They just don't have the ability to garner free agents that big market teams do. Like even with Anthony Davis there, the Pelicans never signed a big free agent. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to go play with Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday down in New Orleans. That was never a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, even though New Orleans is by all accounts like a wonderful city. Um, and, you know, Anthony Davis was, you know, a young superstar, Drew Holiday, a very good, you know, probably not a second guy, but, you know, a third or fourth guy on a championship team. And just nobody wanted to do that. If you put that exact team in Los Angeles, they probably get a superstar or another all-star free agent at some point. So it's it's hard to really blame New Orleans. Like, did they make some bad moves like paying Omar Ashik, you know, $60 million on a four-year contract? Sure. Uh, awful. Uh, the Rockets did that first. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they traded for him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's... Um, 
but no, I don't think it's a good thing because I think, you know, you see super teams and super teams. I guess it depends what you mean. If you're talking ratings versus maybe, um, you know, the, the game to game product. Yeah. Cause I think in terms of ratings, in terms of ratings, it probably helps the league. Because probably. Um, you're getting I, all the international attention, uh, like someone in, you know, let's say, you know, China is probably going to know the Lakers before they can name, you know, the Pelicans. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think you can argue it hurts in terms of local fandom. If all of a sudden, like your, your key guys keep leaving. But on the other hand, I mean, in a lot of the small market teams, there are also fewer professional teams, um, you know, which means that to some extent, there's like a diehard fan base in there, regardless, like there are going to be tons of Grizzlies fans just because I, is there another? Um, yeah. It's Memphis. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's you know, or Portland, for example. Like, even if Damian Lillard forces his way out, there's still gonna be a ton of Blazers fans because there aren't any other big. That's you know, their team. Yeah, teams. yeah. I mean, they have there's college teams, and I think there's a, a women's basketball team, maybe a pro team there. I think maybe, and there's a soccer team. I think, yeah. but you know, it's it's, it's not the yeah. same. Yeah. So, um, I think that you know, it's it's good for probably national ratings. Um, and I mean, I think the Warriors Cavs finals were all bonanzas and Cleveland is not a big market, but they have LeBron James and, Mm -hmm. you know, San Francisco, of course, a big market. Um, and some of the worst finals ratings ever had were like Cleveland against San Antonio is infamous, for example, just being like, nobody watched that series. I didn't watch that series. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, but I think in terms of just you keeping fans happy and keeping a good product, you want to have a lot of good teams, right? You don't want to have three teams that you know are just all superstars um and everybody else you know is you know not just not in the picture and i think you know the warriors team is maybe unique in that they were a 73 win team and then they added one of the 10 best players of all time but they also did well through the draft right um you know i mean they they did they earned a lot of their own benefits um but it was interesting in that, you know, teams were postponing their titles runs. They weren't going for it because they were scared of the Warriors. And I think that is a legitimate side effect. You know, if you have, if the Nets pan out, let's say, you know, Kyrie comes back and the Nets are just unbeatable. It doesn't matter that they can't play defense. They're scoring 140 points every game. Mm-hmm. They win a championship. And like, those guys aren't really that old. Like they could be good for years. Like do teams start punting, especially in the East? Like we're not going to compete with this team. We're just going to rebuild. And what that does yeah. to ratings and to the fan base, um, you know, and I think, you know, something that's lost in terms of the Rockets is like they were one of the few teams that went for it. They were like, we are going to take on the Warriors. We're going to build a team that can try to beat the Warriors that almost did beat the Warriors um, and should be commended for that. But a lot of other teams did not. Um, and it, that's real negative. So I'm overall on the standpoint of, no, I don't think it's a good thing. And again, I'm not sure what the answer is, whether it be, you somehow, you know, because the, the Supermax has been not quite a success, right? And that was supposed to give small market teams the edge um, and just being able to give their guys an unreal amount of money. But for most of these teams, a lot of them are like, you know, we don't want to give our stars that much money just because we don't think they're quite that good. Like the Bulls with Jimmy Butler, even though they're not a small market mm-hmm. team, they've kind of operated like one. Um, the Wizards did with John Wall and then regretted it. The Thunder did with Russell Westbrook and had to trade him. Um, you know, you look at a lot of these teams and it's like, it hasn't really worked out. So I'm not sure what the answer is. Um, but I just, I do think the big markets just naturally have an edge and it. it probably should be combated one way or another. Yeah. I want to finish this off by bringing it back to the Clippers here. Yeah. So the way that I see it, and I, I kind of want you to agree or disagree with this statement. 
before Chris Paul, the I, I like the word you use operated as a small market. I feel like the Clippers did that before oh, they yeah. got Chris Paul. And they didn't really use Los Angeles to their advantage. And I think, you know, those these big market teams have the advantage. And since then, they've been able to ride, even though with kind of two separate chapters, even though, you know, the transition period between the Lob City era and the current era, um, it wasn't it wasn't like super long uh, where and the team was never really bad. They were kind of yeah. OK. Um, so do you think that the Clippers have, you know, would you consider them a small market team that has now turned into a large market team? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, who knows how the Kawhi Leonard Paul George era will play out? I mean, Paul George just signed an extension. He's going to be on the Clippers for the next five years, probably. I wouldn't put sources on it, but all indications from what I know are that Kawhi Leonard is going to stay, barring like a disastrous playoff collapse or just something really weird. Um, they're both going to be Clippers, I guess, for the next five years, maybe until their careers are over. Um, and, you know, that sustained excellence, you know, they haven't been under 500 since the Chris Paul trade, um, because even in 2018, they were a 42 win team. Um, and in 2019, infamous, well, famously, I guess, for Clippers fans, you know, they made the playoffs with this scrappy wins. team yeah. and and beat the, the Warriors in this ridiculous game to come back that I was at. It was nuts. It's the craziest mm -hmm. game I've ever been at. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if they have another five years with with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and you know, especially if this rivalry with the Lakers does turn into an actual rivalry, like let's say they're multiple playoff series, mm -hmm. huge. But I mean, those that would be a ratings bonanza. Yeah. Um, like just an insane amount of coverage. Um, and you know, I think they could really become a long-term powerhouse, and all that also has to do with ownership, right? And I know as a Rockets <laughs> writer, you know all about ownership and how that can impact a team. Um, Steve Ballmer is not moving the team to Seattle because it's Los Angeles. He's they're gonna make more and do better for him in LA than anywhere else. Um, and as long as he's owning the team and is willing to spend a ton of money on it and is passionate about it, which it seems like he will be for as long as he owns the team, um, they're probably going to be decent. Um, and it, that's crazy to say, if you, if you'd said that 10 years ago, that's wild. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree. Like they are now a big market team. They have an owner who's willing to spend tons of money they have, um, you know, big name players on their roster. They've had big name players on the roster for 15 years now. Well, they by the time PG's contract is up or whatever, 15 years, they're going to be a team that every time there is a big free agent is probably going to be like, oh, the Clippers, you know, they have a meeting with the Clippers or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that they're there. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You kind of feel like you're rooting for a powerhouse, even though they're still the Clippers. They're still <laughs> far and away the second team in their own city behind the mm -hmm. Lakers. Um, but they're a team that gets a lot of national attention. And and it's it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a good place to uh, park the time machine. But thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Basketball Podcast. You can follow. Uh, we are part of the uh, the Basketball Podcast Network. You can follow at us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet. And you can follow Passable on Twitter at Basketball. That's P-A-S-T-K-E-T Ball. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Brenner. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-R-E-N-E-R. -E -E and you can follow uh, my guest. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on. Uh, drop your Twitter handle and whatever you're working on. Uh, floor is yours. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me on, Jeremy. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um 
And my Twitter handle is at Rich Homie Flom, a name that gets more outdated every year <laughs> uh, as Rich Homie Quan fades from national relevance. Uh, and um, I write for 213 Hoops, um, which is an independent Clippers blog. So go follow my my personal account as well as uh, 213. I'm not working on, on anything particular. We'll, we have our podcast, The Lob, The Jam, The Pod, runs you know two or three times a week. So check that out if you want some uh, Clippers podcasting and, and follow the site for, for Clippers writing. But yeah, that's, that's about it. Thank you for having me on, Jeremy. For sure. And next week, uh, we are going to uh, commemorate the one-year anniversary of uh, Kobe's passing with two Kobe-themed episodes. You're not going to want to miss that. Be sure to subscribe to your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And until next time, rewind and be kind. <laughs>